Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and we got a lot to cover once again this week. Whole bunch of revelations, football leaks, it's on everyone's mind. Um, everyone has been hearing about it, everyone has been reading about it on Twitter. Well, we're going to break it down a bit for you on this week's podcast. We're also going to be chatting Champions League, Russian Premier League, and much, much more. So yes, lots of interesting topics today. And who helped me discuss them all is Andrew Flint in Siberia. How is it going, Andrew? <laughs> well, it's it's not been an it's not been uneventful, shall we say? So uh, it's certainly been an interesting time over here. But um, yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys think of the extent and the impact of the topics we're about to mention. But yeah, an interesting week for Russia. Yeah, a very interesting week for Russia. We have yeah so much to discuss and. Um, hopefully, Tim, who always has all the inside knowledge on Russian football, is going to help us dissect it a little bit. Tim, Tim Bokhtashev, how are you doing? Good morning, Mano. Yeah, it's it's morning in Vancouver, and um, I'm so happy that Andrew Flint uh, is able to join us because, uh, like I said, it's early in the morning, and up, and before I woke up, I had a dream that Andrew was not able to do the podcast anymore for some reason. And we got the new guy, and he was so boring. And I, I just hated every single minute of being on pod, and I missed Andrew so much. So I'm so glad that it was only a dream, and Andrew Flint is back with us from Siberia. I, I would never leave you, Tim, I promise. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. Did, uh, did Tim, by any chance, look like Massimo Carrera? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Tim, Tim looks better than Massimo Carrera. Oh, wow. That's a compliment. <laughs> Massimo's a stylish guy and a very popular guy, but Tim, Timmy's a step above. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, well, boys, 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 we get to, we get to talk about Massimo uh, in a little bit. I promise. Um, there, there's more. There's always more. But, um, before we chat about things on the pitch, we have to talk about things in the boardroom. And, um, it's been, I mean, it's not been a great week if you're a Manchester City fan. Um, I guess the, the more educated of them will probably know what's been going on for quite some time. Um, but football leaks, the revelation platform that, um, uncovers documents, the business behind the closed doors that is going on in football has been hitting them quite hard with all sorts of revelations on how Manchester City are run. Um, of course, Football Leaks um, hasn't been just unkind, unkind to Manchester City. Um, we discussed uh, Football Leaks also on the Gegen Pressing podcast um, in conjunction with Bayern Munich and their um, involvement in the European Super League. So if you're interested in what the European Super League is, how it works, how it potentially could reshape European football, head over there to that podcast. But maybe just to break down what Football Leaks is, um, football leagues started about three years ago. Um, a guy named John and he has been slowly but surely uh, exposing all these documents about how football is run behind closed doors. Um, this started all on a homepage called football leagues. And, um, on that homepage, um, we had contracts, uh, all sorts of contracts that exposed the, the, the way football players play taxes or <laughs> rather not pay the taxes, um, third party ownership and contracts, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, that data set became so big that he decided to join forces with the Spiegel and a bunch of other European investigative, um, journals. Um, and he's been working with them for quite some time. There's terabytes of information. So the Spiegel right now, um, has been releasing new publications 
almost on a daily basis, including yesterday one article about Zenit. And Tim, um, we, we talked about this a bit before the podcast. You said that the one thing that did surprise you was all these other big clubs in Western Europe involved. You did, were not really surprised that Zenit were mentioned in these papers. No, because Russia is the country of corruption and uh, football, it is, uh, the, you know, the sport of very, very big money. So obviously those two things go hand in hand uh, very well together. Um, it's not only in football, like it's just it's just a known problem that Russia is very corrupt uh, country. So I'm, I was not absolutely surprised to see that there's certain corruption in football. Uh, we never hear those stories in the de definitive uh, way. Nobody says, listen, this person paid this person this much because the because they they wanted to to get some benefit from that. But there always a little bit of rumors, always unproven rumors. Uh, that you know, certain certain money then went one way or, or another. Um, it's it's very very hard to prove it in in football. We had some stories when it was uh, find out. Uh, for example, I remember there was an issue with uh, Tom Tomsk. Uh, then for a transfer of um, I don't remember um, of I think it's Kirill Pogrebniak, the brother of Pogrebniak or somebody else. Um, the agents uh, were paid. Uh, for just not even it's not even a commission or some some kind of um, advising fee and I think it was four hundred thousand dollars or something like that uh, and yeah that came out I'm not sure I don't remember what exactly happened to that but this doesn't surprise me at all because uh, unfortunately that's just how uh, football is but what I'm surprised about that it came in such a detailed way including the names of companies um, actual amounts of money again I'm not sure how much uh, you know how how accurate those numbers are, but I'm impressed with the with the um, amount of details uh, which uh, football leagues provided on all those dishes. At the same time, I'm absolutely not surprised that um, those clubs uh, got the got into this uh, into this situation, and um, that, that uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not really. I'm not really very impressed with that. I'm really to see how how this will what will what this will lead to. Yeah, yeah, Andrew. What I mean, um, we we chatted about this before the pod. I mean, on Football Grad in particular, we have been writing about these sort of stories for I feel like years now. Um, we have been publishing articles about financial fair play breaches. We have been, you know, the, the case of Dinamo Moscow, for example, who are named in this, in this, uh, in these documents. Um, I remember when back in 2013, I wrote an article, or sorry, in 2014, I wrote an article called the Gazprom football empire, where a lot of the circumnavigations of financial fair play were also outlined. Um, this, I feel like in many ways, all the things, and we're going to talk about them, of course, in more detail in a moment, sort of kind of underline a lot of the things that we have been mentioning in the past, don't they? Well, yeah, like Tim said, um, and, you know, I've said this a number of times before, that if I'm in a conversation with a Russian person now, I don't feel remotely conscious of saying how open the corruption is in this country, to call it a corruption country, and that's not a... It's not a dig. It's just the simple truth. And the thing, I think what people find it difficult to square with, and it, I talk, I'm talking in a football context and in a wider context, um, is outsiders to Russia like to moralize about corruption um, when they themselves are also complicit to some degree. But in Russia, people are so open about it and they have been for so long. I mean, um, the in the football context, it's... I mean, I'm not entirely sure why such an in-depth investigation is, is really necessary because it's so, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It's right there. The Gazprom sponsorship on the on the front of the shirts, the the fact it's a state-run company and the amount of sponsorships any get, and you look at the amount of money in the Russian League, or sorry, the lack of money in the Russian League, it's, I mean, in 15 seconds, just look at look at that and you've, you've done all you need to do. Um, I think... I also, Manu, something that I, I'm definitely interested to hear your take in particular, and it's given your background, um, is, is the actual understanding of, of financial fair play in the first place. I think, 
and it may have been you who I read on Twitter actually yesterday, Manu, at least you were part of the discussion on this, um, that the naming of financial fair play is perhaps ever so slightly, I don't know, unfortunate perhaps. People uh, people want to make it sound as if it's, it's, it's to level up all clubs, but it's actually can be quite restrictive, I find. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, with the nature of the Russian league and the lack of investments in it, people will be probably shocked to realise quite how little um, business there is. I mean, I'm talking genuine business here, clean business, um, that people can do in Russian football. It just isn't value there. It's the TV money is, is non-existent. Um, the online uh, availability of matches, legal and illegal, makes it virtually pointless to have any um, TV deal at all. But even then, the TV deal is with a state-run company anyway. So, you know, what are we are we trying to kid ourselves here? Um, Russian clubs would struggle completely if they didn't circumvent financial fair play. So is it really in the best interest of clubs? I, I'm not entirely sure, but I'd be interested to see what you think, Manu. Yeah, you, you raised a very, very important question. I mean... And this is, this is something that a lot of Manchester City fans have pointed out that financial fair play, financial fair play supports the big clubs, right? The ones that are already at the top and the ones that are already gotten there. And, um, because the, 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 the likes of Bayern, for example, or Real Madrid or Barcelona, or in England, Manchester United, right? They've gotten there over, they, they, they have a financial, they have a financial head start because of the years and years of good work that they have done with their, with their, with their business, right? And then in Bayern's case, and this is one that I mentioned yesterday, um, they don't even have an owner that pumped the money into them, right? Um, the, 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 the club, generated all the income themselves. Yes, there is minority shareholders, but they came in at a time when Bayern was already quite rich. Um, so they, I can see why people are saying, well, it's supporting the status quo, but financial fair play is also to ensure that clubs do not take on loans in excess of the money that they can, that they can earn. And I think what people don't quite understand is, and this, this is, this is a very, very important fact. Um, and something very important for, for people that are, are not familiar with this maybe to understand. When an owner, like Gazprom, for example, we will say it with the Russian, Russian example. When an owner, like Gazprom, gives a club money, that money is given to a club with the expectation that that money is earned back. Sponsor, it's not sponsorship, it's ownership. So UEFA considers money given to clubs not not a present, which it isn't, it never is, but a loan, right? It's not money that the club owns. And the reason behind that is quite simple. You always have to calculate that an owner could at any moment step away from the business and in that moment the club has to carry itself financially, right? So that's why that sort of investment is always considered a loan. Um, I give you, I give you a few examples of clubs that have rich investors, but still complied with financial fair play. And two of them are in Germany where the financial fair play restrictions are not just strict in terms of UEFA, but also in terms of, um, the, the local league. So RB Leipzig and um, Wolfsburg, right? Wolfsburg, of course, owned by Volkswagen and RB Leipzig owned by, well, not owned, but you guys know what I mean, by Red Bull. Two very, very rich (laughs) investors, right? But both those clubs have to comply with financial fair play regulations. And they do. They they are complying with financial fair play regulations. You don't see Leipzig spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of euros on new players simply because they can't. They would be kicked out of UEFA. Um, and I think that is something that people forget that there is another way. You can build a club up slowly and be quite successful. I mean, Leipzig have now finished second, fifth, and they're probably going to finish in the top three again in the Bundesliga this year. Right. Um, so there is a way of doing it the right way. 
Manchester City have not done it the right way. They have invested in excess of 1.5 billion euros in term in sponsorship deals that were given by the state of um, the United Arab Emirates or Abu Dhabi, the sheikhs that run Abu Dhabi. They basically gave money to sponsors and the sponsors then funneled the money into the clubs. That's illegal in terms of financial fair play. And you see something very similar um, with with Zenit. Um, the, the, the way they've sort of circumnavigated financial fair play is the Zenit has all these different holding companies, right? Um, the one that is being named by the Spiegel is Gazprom Germania, which is uh, the holding company that sits in Germany. Um, it's the Dependants in Germany. And um, Gazprom Germania is also, you know, Gazprom is the sponsor for Schalke. Um, they also, of course, <laughs> signed a sponsorship contract with uh, Zenit so that Zenit has more than one uh, sponsor, right? Because like that's one of the things that financial fair play controls, that clubs have several sponsors, not just one. They don't want clubs to be dependent on one sponsor. They want clubs to diversify their sponsorship deals. And this is, this is of course, when we get to Lokomotiv, that's another issue they had as well. But I'll give you an example. In 2012-2013, Gazprom Germania paid um, 16 million euros to Schalke in sponsorship. This is a team in the Bundesliga, one of the biggest markets in Europe, um, a place where you can justify that kind of spending. At the same time, Zenit, and this is, this is just one of the side sponsors, got 17 million euros from Gazprom Germania, right? So you can see why UEFA is saying, well, look, this doesn't really quite add up, right? And then, of course, um, UEFA hit the financial doping because according to the, the, uh, the story that came out in the Black Sea, because they didn't want Russian football to be damaged um, ahead of the World Cup. Now, the one problem I had with the, the, the Black Sea story is, yes, they, they, they show all these documents that um, Gazprom you know, there's Gazprom Nef, there's Gazfond, there's Osogas, there's Lida, uh, Germania, uh, Gazprom Bank. These are all companies that are owned by Gazprom and they all individually gave sponsorship money in the region of 64 million euros to Zenit. Um, I think the one problem I have with the story is that they, um, that they, they claim that Zenit said okay well the world cup is in russia in four years we need to uh, we need to support our club um, otherwise people will be watching ice hockey and this is a quote from the article um but andrew i remember you know around 2014 when the sanctions hit and the russian sanctions because of russia's involvement in ukraine all the clubs mm. named in these papers cut costs significantly yeah so yeah i mean yeah, but you remember obviously they when Zenit had the likes of Axel Witzel and Hulk and Danny and they were spending twenty, thirty million, which in the Russian league is just a crazy amount of money. And it was of course it was after those sanctions, fairly soon afterwards we saw um well around that time we saw um Angie, of course. Uh they were well they're they're a, they're a shell of what they were, shall we say. Um <laughs> Zenit sold all their players. Dynamo Moscow in was it 2015? They had a, a fire sale when they had the likes of uh, well, William Banker. They had um, they had uh, um, my mind uh, my memory slipping. They they had a huge number of highly paid foreigners at least, and of course they went they were relegated. And at the time, I don't know if you remember, but at the time I said, you know what, this is perhaps a positive side of financial fair play. It forced Dynamo Moscow to clear out the squad. They were relegated. They were forced to play some of their very promising youth players. They got promoted at a canter in the Faneel. And yes, they're now a level below what they were, but they, in theory, and in theory being the important part here, were, on the, on the pitch at least, more sustainable. They're not paying quite the crazy amount of wages and transfer fees. However, I'm sure we will get on to Dynamo in a slightly more detail with, with their own funding. Um, so it's, it depends how deeply you look, really, is, is, is my opinion on it. On the surface, Dynamo Moscow was a positive story. 
Um, but if you look just a little bit deeper into how they are also funded, then um, it's it, it's difficult, really. It's difficult, really, to to judge because it's it's an open. Well, it's not a secret. It's just an open fact. Um, and the one thing I picked up, Manny, from that that Black Sheep story that you mentioned was was a comment that that Sunit made about just and like I mentioned earlier is the the comment they made that well look we we could adhere to financial fair play and we'd probably still be fairly strong uh, in Russia but we'd have absolutely no chance in hell of of ever getting anywhere in continental competition um, and they actually have a point about that it's just whether you agree with the models of them finding a way to circumvent it um, I don't want to take sides, but actually I can see valid points on both sides of that argument. Yeah, I can too. Um, I mean, the, the other club, I want to talk about Dynamo um, uh, towards the end, um, but the other club that's mentioned is, is Locomotive. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that the, the paper um, criticizes Russian clubs for is the state involvement. Yeah. Um, without taking the history of the, of Russia and the Soviet Union into account. I mean, the next club that's mentioned is, is Locomotive. And yes, um, RCD, the company, the Russian Railways has spent a lot of money in sponsorship. Um, the, the breakdown that they have here is in 2014, it was 94 million, um, euros, um, in 2015, 84. And that, that number stayed about even, um, that is 90% of their income, um, of the club's income. But I think I, I, the, the one thing that Black Sea keeps saying over and over again, it's state money. It, it, the Russian state is sponsoring football. And this is true. But Tim, I think what they fail to really understand, and this is, this is something that I criticized on Twitter is who's, who's the Russian state? Because they, huh. I don't, I think they kind of fail to understand that historically, Locomotive was a state club. It was run by the Ministry of Transport, which is today the Russian Railways. And Russian Railways is a state company, yes. But it's not like Putin is saying, okay, Russian Railways, you have to give this and this much money to the club. It's because they always have been historically linked to that organization. And the history of Russian football is that the state has been paying for the football, right? So I think that is something that the paper really doesn't quite grasp. Yeah, because it's historical. How many times we talked about on this podcast about the clubs like Amkar Perg who are totally dependent on the state uh, budget. And that's how um, uh, majority of clubs in, in Russia work. So uh, Lokomotiv, example of Lokomotiv in RJD uh, or Railroads Russia is just a way, way, way larger example uh, of of that connection, but obviously, yeah, it's like it's it's. I don't think it's correct to think that you know uh, Vladimir Putin or anybody else from the government says, okay, how about we'll give the money to the football clubs? Actually, uh, uh, Putin numerous times said that he is concerned about the amount of money going into football because I, I'm pretty sure he understands where uh, that there is. Uh, it's not that clean uh, about everything uh, like how, how the how the business has done this football he raised several time concerns and uh, I actually was a little bit um, worried uh, that if he doesn't like uh, the amount of money being spent at football that maybe the football uh, will get uh, cuts in, in in budgets and that will lead to you know worse results and was uh, worse possibilities to get the better players so obviously which will um, show worse results in Europe. Uh, but yeah, like, um, that's, that, that's, I don't think, I don't think it's state involvement. It's not necessary. The actual, like the, <laughs> yeah, the president of the country tells the clubs to buy players like Hulk and Witzel and other superstars. Yeah. I think the really important aspect is here that the various pillars of the state and that they're independent from each other. You know, um, I look at RCD like, Similar to the Deutsche Bahn in Germany, it's yeah, yeah, the, the golden share is owned by the state, the government, but the company acts like a private company. And the very same thing is, is true with RCD. Yes, it's state owned, um, but it is, you know, it's a company that makes independent decisions, which gets us to the next case, which is Dynamo Moscow. 
Um, it's always fun to talk about Dynamo because the club is such a mess. But um, VTB Bank, which is the former, and this is this is another important one. The VTB Bank is now run like a private bank, in which the Russian government is still a majority shareholder. People will say, "Well, that's kind of weird." Well, it's because the VTB Bank used to be the Russian foreign trade bank during the time of the Soviet Union, when every organization in the country was state-owned. And privatization takes time. This is a great example of how long of a time it takes. The company is now 40% in private hands. Um, they also sponsored Dynamo. And this is where UEFA really, really, really hit hard, right, Andrew? Um, because they, Dynamo was actually one of the clubs that got banned from yeah. uh, playing in UEFA competitions in 2015. And that's when the fire sale started. And that's when the club had to sell many of its superstars. Um, and nowadays, VTB is really just a sponsor in many aspects. Well, yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's, I, I, I will probably never fully, fully understand the, the finer details of the, of how the move from, well, Communism to capitalism. Uh, I know a certain somebody on the football grad network who knows a thing or two about that. Um, but the, the the fact is, people people should should look a little bit deeper than just simply there is a name connected with a company and who actually controls the company. Um, now, it's I think there is a in in my country in England there is a a fairly healthy appetite uh, for a large part of the country despite what the political stories might might be saying to move more towards nationalization a lot of privatized companies are milking what used to be state-run institutions dry um, the the NHS is the most obvious example but um, there is there is an appetite for nationalization which <laughs> I find sort of half of that is rather ironic because if you accept that that is a good thing, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just simply saying that's something a lot of people want. If you accept that, then you have to have some greater understanding for for situations like Dynamo Moscow. Mm -hmm. um, now, the, uh, the, the Rottenberg family, of course, they have, whether even if the Rottenbergs, let's just say for argument's sake, I, I don't know the exact figures, but let's just say for argument's sake that one of the main shareholders is still Rottenberg. We know he has personal connections to um, uh, to a lot of the, uh, well, uh, Mr. Putin himself, of course, but a lot of the St. Petersburg elite, shall we say. Um, and you can never truly say that, you can never truly guarantee somebody is completely independent, even if they are not a member of parliament, even if they are not um, a state-run company, there will always be influences, whether it's by personal means or just historical links between uh, certain people. So I think um, with Dynamo Moscow, it's it's a tricky one because, like you say, they are such a mess on every single level of the club. But the, the status of VTB Bank is... Um, well, let's just say it's confusing, and I think that's what people don't like. As soon as it's not entirely clear, people instantly think, right, it's going to be um, some underhand dealing here. Now, I, like I say, I can't confess to, to know the, the finer details of the, you know, what level of ownership there is and where, uh, who the exact people are, but um, I think before people jump on the bandwagon of saying, oh, well, they've been named in this, this, this leak, therefore... Um, they should be banished for a long time. Have a deep look at, at their own clubs. Um, Manchester City certainly being one of them. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not surprised with the dictate Man City. Yeah. I, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna let that pass. You knew you guys. Um, yeah, I think Man City, if we, if we get into that, that'd be a discussion for an entire pod. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, the, the stuff that's coming out, the Spiegel is doing it in four chapters. That's how much um, is going on. I think um, when you compare everything that's going on in, in Russia right now, um, it's it's 
it's small beans in comparison to what's what's being funneled into into Manchester City. That said, I do want to jump to one story abroad, um, and that is what's going on in Monaco, um, where my friend Dimitri Ribolovov um, runs runs the club, and um, he owns sixty six percent of of the shares um, at Monaco. The rest is owned by the House of Grimaldi. Now, there was a bunch of stuff that happened yesterday. Um, they lost in the Champions League. Um, that's, that's bad enough news. He also did, Ribolovov get, did get arrested. Um, before we start with, you know, the financial fair play story, I, I need to point out that he did get arrested for something completely different. <laughs> um, it had nothing to do with football leagues. It's, um, something called uh, Monaco Gate. Um, he is being accused of having sold artwork above above market prices um, and not taxed it the right way. Yeah, it's um, another another story. All of this came in at the same time, right? But in terms of Monaco, and I, I need to quickly address this: is he made a deal, and this is this goes back to 2014. Again, Monaco is a club that's very much restructured today. They make a lot of money by producing young talent and selling them. And the reason they're doing this is to comply with financial fair play. But before that, they had a deal going on where um, we are third parties. They, Rebolovlev, would channel 140 million euros into the club a year. This deal fell apart. His idea was, and um, this is this is classic. I mean, if you've watched Mac Mafia, I can sort of imagine what's going on there. Um he basically said to this company in Hong Kong, um, we want to funnel 140 million euros into Monaco. We give you the money. You sign a marketing deal with, with Monaco. And via that direction, we're going to be able to give Monaco this amazing marketing deal that will ensure the club to get 140 million euros a year, which of course would um, be enable them to compete with the with the big boys in France, um, the current business model is very different. Um, I mean, Mbappe, for example, there's a story actually on Mbappe today. Uh, the majority of the money that Manchester City ended up getting, uh, sorry, not Manchester City, Monaco actually ended up getting for the sale from Mbappe. That's just 180 million euros. 132 million euros went directly to Dimitri. Um, so this is the story at Monaco. I mean, Tim. Are we really that surprised? I mean, Monaco, tax haven, Russian oligarch, big club, lots of money. It, it all kind of adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, you said it. <laughs> you named all the right components. Um, for, for me, it's purely as a Russian person. For me, one only said thing is that, uh, you know, he will be kind of taken away from the from the club because... There always was a little bit of, um, you know, how originally started uh, Chelsea being popular in Russia with Abramovich being involved and being Russian. And then he brought um, Smirtin um, to play for the club. And kind of same thing was happening here. I know that for um, Russian oligarchs so who own uh, Russian clubs, they always would like to see Russian players playing. And um, it's nice to see, for example, I think one of the that's one of the reasons why Golovin ended up there. Of course, Golovin is a talent, but there was definitely a Russian connection. And I like to see that. So, you know, I don't know this person. He's obviously rich and successful and all that. So, But it's none of my business what happens in his life. Uh, but at the same time, I really like that idea of Russian oligarchs owning clubs and actually being involved into football because, um, as we know, in Russia is not super football country. It's not like everyone is obsessed with football. So seeing uh, some rich people being actually involved in football, um, it is it is good for for the development of the game in Russia and outside of Russia and gives some sometimes uh, yeah, Russian young and talented players to go abroad like uh, Galavian. So um, again, obviously. There was some shady stuff done, and uh, we don't know how it it will all um, uh, will will work out. But um, I would like to see more of Russian oligarchs being involved with European clubs and uh, represent Russia on the I don't know the world biggest stage. Yeah, as long as uh, they pay the taxes, I'm all good. With <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, in illegal represent Russia in a legal way. I'm not sure, <laughs> possible, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, boys, that, that was a lot that we had to cover there. And I'm sure there will be more coming out. Um, it, this seems to be only a, a trickle, um, 2.7 terabytes. I'm sure the Spiegel is going to be publishing stories for weeks to come. And I'm sure Andrew is going to keep enjoying all the stuff that's coming out on the blue side of Manchester. Um, it, it won't, it won't upset me, Manny. No, no, I, I have no idea why it wouldn't. Um, no. We do have to talk about some news, though. Um, I'm not sure you're going to be super upset about that either, Andrew. Um, see the transition oh, I did can there? Can we talk about Champions League football? Yeah, and we're talking oh, about Champions League football now. All right, uh, okay. Uh, what happened in Belgrade? Well, I mean, there was one fantastic, historic former European champion who, who looks the part and and another team in a ghastly purple and orange kit. Um but no, in, in all in all honesty, it had been built up quite a lot by by Liverpool as some kind of bizarre brotherhood between them. I mean Liverpool fans are obsessed with their European history and yes, they have won five European Cups, fair enough. Um but they the fact that Red Star are a romantic side from the nineties where or late eighties even, with some of the most exotically talented players that European football has arguably ever seen. Um, they thought, well, there was a comfort zone. Liverpool assumed that they're going to walk over and and, and stroll all over Red Star. Because to be fair, Red Star are, I still maintain, actually a fairly average side. I would, I'd argue they were terrible last That's season. That's um, <laughs> but, but, but this is the thing, exactly it. What matters is you show up in the big moments. And the atmosphere at the at the stadium is well, it's been legendary for decades. And the pictures of the tunnel, even in fact, the pictures of the the journalists walking up from the press box to where the the cafe was was lined with policemen, graffiti on the wall, and that all of all of these little elements add up to uh, an epic night. And Liverpool crumbled. I mean, look, I uh, I will be fair to Liverpool um, very briefly. But they are an absolutely fantastic side and they will be very, very close to the Premier League title this season. Um, they have everything set up on the pitch very well. And I don't know the details of their funding. I'm hoping to see their name in uh, Football Leagues soon, but I, I'm, I'm slightly dubious that they will. But Liverpool fans cannot be too down downbeat about about this, this result. Mm. Um, Red Star, it's a... That in itself is the end game. They've, they've beaten a big name. Of course, they're not going to have the slightest hope of going further in the Champions League, but that doesn't matter. So, in a way, uh, I think Liverpool will be dependent on on the results in the other results in their group uh, today. So, at the time of recording, anyway. Um, so, I don't. It's 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 not lost. Not always lost, but uh, it was quite enjoyable to see them look so. Well, so dreadful, basically, so porous. Yeah, um, I, I watched this game and um, I was surprised by the result. I mean, I seen, I saw Red Star against Paris Saint-Germain and um, they lost that game 6-0 and then there was all these other allegations that Red Star may have sold that game, right? Um, I mean, we have Milos Markovic in the, the Football Guard network and he was quite adamant that they didn't. Now they were really just they're just a bad side and um fair enough i think um on the road in particular they lost 4-0 in in anfield um so i think that showed that but they also drew napoli at home 0-0 and this really sets up the group quite nicely because you have napoli and liverpool on six points and psg on five and this is the kind of example where and this is this is what i said ahead um of, of the champions league when we did the big previews right that's Red Star are not going to advance from this group, but they will be the side that will make the difference um, in this group because if they take three points of one of the three guys, then that side might be the one looking from the outside in. And they did that now. They did that in terms of beating Liverpool at home. And those, that could be three points that in the end of the day will be missing, right? Because now Liverpool still have to play Napoli and... And PSG, 
um, PSG on the road, I believe. So yeah, that's, that's going to be not that easy. Now, Andrew, I know you also wanted to talk about, um, someone else in, in terms of Champions League. Now, uh, Lokomotiv yesterday absolutely got dismantled, uh, by Porto. Um, there was one man in particular, a former world champion. So don't be too disrespectful. Um, who caught your eye. <laughs> I, I am really enjoying this podcast, I've got to say. Um, yeah, you know, last um, last night's game was a was a strange one, really. Um, it took about 85 seconds for Lokomotiv to fall behind. And I think, to be honest, uh, given how we've seen Lokomotiv perform in Europe this season, it was very little surprise that they conceded first. I mean, perhaps so early was a bit strange. Um, but Lokomotiv were drowned out in the torrential rain in Porto, but they didn't help themselves by um, a certain Mr. Hervides, if I pronounce that correctly. Very well Mr. done. Mr. Benedict, Benedict Hervides. He was, I mean, he can't be a bad footballer. He, he's a world champion. Um, Although that is four played. years ago, Andrew. Well, yes, that is true. Um, and those four years are the longest four years in football, I think, um, because right now he looks like he would struggle to make the Oral Yekaterinburg team. Um, so he was just so desperately slow. Now, backed against the wall performance in Europe, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you want to just grind out a point, get back home without any injuries, and just be done with the fixture. And I don't think people should, should turn their noses up at that. So his experience at the back made some sense. Um you know, Porto have some some very dangerous players up front, so the experience to organise the defence should be very useful. The problem was he just couldn't. And he, he was outpaced by, I think it was um, Mariga, the striker up front, who admittedly is a strong, quick runner, but he just ran right around the outside of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's uh, that's a big problem, because Herbert is brought in, if nothing else, for his experience to at least cover at the centre of defence um, and he ended up just exposing it and it, the result sounds like an absolute trouncing and for I would argue at least an hour of the game Porto were completely dominant but having said that after half time there was a there was a small period when Lokomotiv actually attacked them and Porto looked very very vulnerable um, Farfan scored um, uh, Alexey Midanchuk cut in on his left foot and hit a shot which could only have been about two inches wide. Keep uh, Casillas was completely stranded. Um, and they, for all for all the world, it looked like Loco were going to get uh, an unlikely equaliser. In the end, they, they energy tailed off and Porto came back and won 4-1. Um, but a very disappointing return to European football for locomotive. But Mr. Hoverday certainly did not help matters. No, he did not. Um but we have to talk about the Russian Premier League. Um, and that, oh, good. To stay with Loco. And Tim, I need to go to you. Um, we, we, don't worry, we'll get to talk about Spartak in a bit. But um, <laughs> I want to stay with Loco. Um, and they beat Tula 3-1 on the weekend, which, with all the other results going on, catapulted them to second place, seven points behind Zenit. Um, it's such a contrast Tim, between what they're doing in Russia and what they're doing in the Champions League. And also, I mean, what a comeback in terms of where they were just a few weeks ago. Yeah, they kind of proven me wrong because since the beginning of the seasons on this pod, I've been saying that they will, they won't be fighting for Champions League and at best they will finish somewhere around the Europa League. But they definitely have been proving me wrong. They're doing phenomenal in the Russian Premier League. Um, which is interesting, but the contrast to the Champions League is massive. My only answer would be just the difference in level uh, of between two tournaments and uh, the the opposition who uh, Lokomotiv had to face in in those what let's say eight eight games. Um, I think that's the only difference um, because they playing against a very very good uh, European sides and um, in Russia they they haven't been facing the the, the same opposition. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my my answer. I'm curious to see what will happen uh, in with them in uh, in the Russian Premier League. I I didn't have uh, any hope with them 
in in Champions League because the, the team doesn't have enough experience as a, as a team as a collective. That's their first time back in Champions League in years. Uh, they have a lot of uh, players without any Champions League experience, and in my opinion, uh, that Champions League experience really counts uh, when you're playing. That you not only have to be the top footballer and a top uh, professional in, in in your sport, but you also need to have that Champions League experience. So for me, that's not a surprise. For me, it is a surprise that they're doing well in the um, in the Russian Premier League. Uh, I'm curious to see what will happen, uh, how they will ha- finish the first half of the of uh, until the winter break, because that's, as we know, a very important uh, part where you finish and then how you how you pick it up three months later after the winter. So, yeah, I'm curious to see. I've been proven wrong by Yuri Sherman and, and his players. Um, but I th- I'm still thinking, well, yeah, I don't know now with my, what's happening with my club because I was, I was confident that Spartak Zenit will be fighting for the champions uh, position, but it's uh, haven't been the case recently. So, yeah, I'm proven wrong. Good luck to Lokomotiv. We'll see. Interesting. Do you think that maybe they... Have written off the Champions League ten and said okay, I, and let's mm, focus on the league. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, it's a big occasion. Um, I think they're doing what they can. It's just really the the opposition um, is good, the experience, and also um, yeah, just the result again. Like there was a couple of mistakes from Guillermo in this game. Um, Porter were good, and uh, you know those things happen. Um, just. Porto is, I think, it's a bit of maybe a better, better team manager and also has way more uh, Champions League experience. Uh, but you know, those things happen. I don't think I don't think Lokomotiv would write off uh, the Champions League. It's such a world stage and uh, players dream to play off. Um, Fedor Smolov just came to Lokomotiv to play in Champions League. Um, I think every minute they spent on the field playing in that tournament is is historical. They will remember this for the rest of their career. So I don't think so. I don't think there will be any writing off. It's just they're not very good. <laughs> I, I like your conclusion uh, to this statement. <laughs> it's it's, it's um, blunt but true, I would say. It's very damning. Um, it just this is the revelation of this podcast. Locomotive are just not very good. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, actually, you, you mentioned that they're not very good. I, they they have on paper had some very good results in the league. They've got five wins in a row. But even against Arsenal Tula, they they looked a little bit shaken by how progressive Arsenal Tula were playing. Um, and it, you know, they left it. I say they left it late. It was good game management by Siemen. Um, to uh, to to basically get the best out of his his most dangerous players, but they they looked fallible even in even though they won three um, one. Arsenal Tula, who are well, they're, they're low down the table at the moment, just outside the relegation zone, but they they look like they can trouble Moko. So even in even in victory, they they don't look completely um, like a well oiled machine just yet. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. I think maybe it's a weakness of the league that a team like Lokomotiv is all the way up on top. Um, because, I mean, that kind of gets me into my next topic. The, the Moscow derby, CSKA, uh, sorry, Dynamo against CSKA at the world renowned, uh, Himki, Andrew. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. Is you that, said that word. 
is that all we need to say about the star because it did end zero <laughs> zero? It, it was let's say it was a match fit fucking yeah, <laughs> perfect fit for the stadium. Is. Yeah, um, yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, I I actually expected it to be fairly. I expected it to be roughly like this because you've got you've seen how Tisca are really focusing on the Champions League. You mentioned yeah. about uh, you questioned whether Loco were. Not prioritizing. Well, I think it's clear that Tesco are prioritizing it uh, as much as they can, even if just to make sure they get into the Europa League in the third place spot. Um, it works phenomenally against Real Madrid. They were very well prepared for that. And I think one concern I do have is that up front, Tesco's options are relatively limited. Abel Hernandez picked up another injury, having only just come back. Uh, and I actually think in the long term, over the season, they're going to desperately need him. Fyodor Chance is looking a little bit jaded in recent weeks. Uh, and he has been it, it, not a criticism at all. I'm his biggest, biggest fan. But I think there's so much weight on his shoulders to yeah. carry the line. That, um, Abel Hernandez has got the experience. And he is a very, very dangerous player when on form. But um, just, to, just to give him a rest now and again, this would, would have been the sort of game where, say to Charlo, OK, we need you for Champions League. Hernandez, in you come, show us what you can do, Charlotte take a rest. Um, but with his injury problems, it leaves very little other option up front for him. Um, in the long term, it will be a concern. But um, nil-nil, a historical derby away from home in that dreadful hellhole just outside <laughs> Moscow. It's not all that bad a result, I'd say, for Tesco. Yeah, I almost lost a flight because of Hemke. So um, that's my opinion <laughs> right there. Um, and Seska, of course, by the time this podcast is out, will be a match report, will be out on their Champions League game as well. But, um, Tim, you have oh, to. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the best podcast of all time, this. I'm we, sorry, Tim, I didn't mean that. We got lots of time yeah. left. We got 10 minutes. So, um, <laughs> I actually, I actually wanted those 10 minutes just to discuss what's next. Um, do you want to start, Andrew, or should we? Yeah, to... let's keep talking. Okay, he wants whatever. No, I, I, I won't be too harsh. I won't be too harsh. I promise. Um, you, you well deserved one. You can celebrate this, but yeah. Well, you know, I mean, let's let, let's let's be briefly honest. Um, I'm imagining Andrew awesome. like running around his flat with yeah, some grim sex at the moment. <laughs> orange shirt. Yeah, orange shirt. It's, um, it, there are a number of things to take away from us, I think. Firstly, look, Ural were pinned back for virtually the entire game. And it's, it's, it's pretty much the case when Ural play any big side. And usually at home, we can dig our heels in and and, and grind out a, a draw, rely on uh, Eric McTralby to prom- provide a moment of genius to, to break the deadlock. Um, um in this game, well, it was a it was a great free kick by Nikolai Dimitrov. Um, he does have one of the best left foots in the Premier League um, from set pieces. That was that was a fantastic finish, um, and that gave Oral license to not bomb forward. If you see what I mean, I mean, Spartak had so much possession, but I think it was up until the something like sixty fifth minute, Spartak had had one shot on goal all game, and Oral had had. Now, it sounds a ridiculous statistic, but the last half an hour was just, it was just a, a bombardment. Um, I'm not sure how much to read into it, really. It was a, like I say, it was a moment of, of genius from Dimitrov for the open goal, anyway. Um, and the, Ural had three or four very, very good clear cut chances, um, but they were isolated instances. They weren't, so it wasn't sort of Spartak's weakness. It was just simply, moments rather than performance um if two one win away from home anywhere or that is is a fantastic result um but it's not come at the best time for for your club tim i i think um but it may be maybe the last or penultimate game of raul riancho in charge so so. there's there's that to to think of but um for this game, it actually is crucial in the Premier League. You mentioned the quality of the Premier League, Manu. That mm. result has taken Ural from, well, it, they would have been in the relegation zone, to within three points of qualifying for Europe, in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming a big club wins the Russian Cup, sixth place goes to Europe, Europa League. 
which is Spartak right now. Ural are now only three points behind. So relegation to three points from Europe, that is how tight the league is. Mm, and Ruben can't qualify for Europe. Remember that too, right? Yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's we're one win away from Europe. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, also, you have to keep in mind, we don't know what other clubs are going to be um, leaked. Um, everyone is being leaked at the moment. It's, yeah, that's the, the... <laughs> if, if there is one thing I'd say, is, I mean, there's very little, very little prospect of Ural being leaked because nobody. But speaking about leakage, um, Tim, <sighs> Spartak has been leaking a lot of goals. Uh, <laughs> leaking a lot of points yeah um, let's don't dwell on the results too long it's it's been not been very good um, you have some news about a potential head coach tell us um, yeah who's but, coming uh, in apparently it looks like Alia Konana will be the, the new coach of Spartak Moscow and um, uh, when when Massimo Carrero was fired it, it, it looked like um, they had a few candidates including Valery Karpin, Stanislav Cherchesov and Alia Konanov was w one of the candidates right from the start uh, but um, they had some conversations with other coaches and as of right now they're just focused on the uh, Alia Konanov um, apparently it was reported that Alia Konanov already um, um, asked to leave Arsenal Tula and Arsenal Tula will be already uh, found the new head coach who will be Igor Semshov who used to be a former national team player and now is um, a young um, coach um, I am not 100% sure about uh, this appointment if, if, it, if it will happen because we don't know um, you know with uh, Spartak and especially Leonid Fidun you never know the ridiculous situation you know this just shows you uh, the, the kind of like the, the, the mismanagement which is happening in the club right now uh, the club goes on the two weeks national break uh, Massimo Carrera works as a coach uh, the first game uh, we lose to Arsenal Tula um, the coach gets fired, and we have uh, games every three to four days. Uh, to three, four, three to four days, because we play Europa League and the cup game. So it's a complete mess. So you wait for the two weeks, and then you fire the coach, and then you go into this uh, extremely busy period of games without uh, the head coach. Uh, interesting. Okay, what does Leonid Fidun uh, do? He goes on a two-week vacation because it is, um, um, you know, a, a, a break and a long weekend in, in Russia right now. Like, your club is in complete mess. You fired the head coach. The things are not going well. And Leonid Fidon, he's the person who makes the decision. And he just goes on two-week vacation. Apparently, he is back into the country today. And uh, that's why that's why that period was given to Raul Riancho because they couldn't really make a decision because Fidon makes the, all the money and uh, appointment decisions. So, uh, while he was away, uh, Raul Riancho was in charge of Spartak Moscow. He wasn't very good. He said a lot of very comical, and I would even use the word stupid um, stuff uh, to press. He didn't really earn any 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 benefits from uh, from the fans. And uh, looks like right now uh, Alek Kononov will be appointed uh, as a new coach of Spartak Moscow. Alek Kononov, he has some experience. He obviously worked in Russian Premier League. He worked in Krasnodar. He worked uh, not very successfully in Ahmad Grozny. And uh, he had a pretty good time at Arsenal Tula, given the size and the financial opportunities of that club. He is known to play what is called like the beautiful game with lots of uh, ball possession, you know, what Krasnodar kind of place, uh, which kind of fits into the model of Spartak, but um, I feel really bad for Alek Konanov stepping into uh, the job right now. He kind of has to take it because it's it's an offer from uh, one of the biggest Russian clubs, and he his biggest job was Krasnodar. Obviously, Spartak is a, a bigger uh, club in terms of size and um, just, uh, just in terms of size uh, compared to Krasnodar. So, he has to take this opportunity. That's that's his chance and his career as a coach. Uh, but at the same time, he is stepping into a very, very messy situation. Uh, the fans are turned their backs uh, to the club. Um, they're not attending games. This game against Ural was registered the lowest home attendance in the season, and uh, the fans are voting with his legs, uh, their their feet. They're not coming to the stadium. Uh, they are booing uh, Leonid Fidun, uh, Raúl Riancho, and the players. Um, well, particularly one player, Denis Glushakov, uh, the captain of the team, and uh, also the, the the team is not playing well. 
Uh, the results are not there. Uh, the fans are turned their back. It's it's a very messy situation. So for Lech Konov, it's a very it will be a very very hard job to step in, and I'm I'm not sure if he is uh, he will be able to do the job. Of course, I want him to do this because that's my club, but um, he is up for a very 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 big job and very hard task for him. And um, I just don't know if he has enough uh, capacity to to manage that. So um, we'll see. Again, I, I spoke a little bit about Alekonov. We don't know what Fidon will come up with in the next um, few days because we really don't know what to expect. He is not a football professional. He's uh, just an amateur uh, football um, you know, supporter with lots of money. And what he has in, in his mind, we don't know. So we'll see. Um, but probably I, I suspect that by the next week, by the next episode, we will have a new coach in Spartak. What I do sense, there's no uh, Sovetskoye, Shaponskoye um, hopping <laughs> over there where you are there, Tim. Uh, no no Krim, Krim Champagne in, in Vancouver. Um, you don't sound too enthusiastic. Let's say it. I am not. You're not. Okay. Well, boys, <laughs> unfortunately, we are out of time. <laughs> I, I feel this is a very good good time to, to cap it off because I think, yeah, Tim, you're quite right. Next week is an international break, so I assume there will be an announcement made then. It seems like the right, right time to do it, right? So, yeah, um, Tim, I'm going to give the floor to you. Um, what, what do you want to promote? The floor is yours. Um, well, yeah, as, as usual, uh, the people can find me on the Russian team 61 uh, on Twitter. And thank you for all the messages. It has been very interesting and uh, conversing with all of you. And on Instagram, Rocket from Russia, uh, I'm doing a big uh, Christmas show, two days mini festival in Vancouver. So if you're in Vancouver, stop by uh, 14, 15 of December and check out some great uh, Vancouver punk rock. Vancouver punk rock. Punk rock. Uh, Andrew, that sounds tempting, eh? You want to come for a visit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if um, if there was that direct plane still on from Tumen to Vancouver, I'd be there in a shot. But, um, <laughs> I'm making do by uh, illegally streaming on Contactia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've got all the tip tracks there. <laughs> good. You have a but, good yeah. guest, my friend. Yeah, well, uh, Tim, I, I will be driving to your Catamaran on Saturday, possibly, to watch um, the last Odell home game for three months. No, so no football for three months. Whew. Yeah, yeah. I've I've already got no. Uh, luckily, Geolog is, is still going, right? Uh, no, all the Geolog is that's the last Geolog home game is already been and gone. Really? Uh, so Whew. that's it until March. This is my last live football in Russia, at least for um for good four months. <laughs> wow! So all me. So, so Andrew, um, the the floor is obviously yours to promote whatever you you doing at the moment. But um, yeah, you you're literally um, in the Siberian wasteland of football at the moment. <laughs> well, you know what I might have to do. Um, I might have to take a flight to Moscow to see a certain Russian Cup game coming up. So um, uh, uh, that'll time you. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I'm uh, actually one thing I am doing at the moment which might be of interest to general football lovers. I'm writing a series of feature articles on Romario and, oh. uh, and a couple of other Brazilians. So um, over on uh, tale of two halves.uk, which is a long form site I write for. So yeah, if you're interested in Romario, yeah. head over there. Should be, um, there's part two parts up. Part three will be up tomorrow afternoon, I believe. Oh, fantastic. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, and everyone else should be too. Um, and Andrew, of course, you're on Twitter? Uh, yep, yep, on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. Fantastic. Yeah, go follow him. He, he's a good writer. He knows what he's talking about. Um, you can find some of Andrew's ramblings actually also at Football Grad Live. Um, a couple of previews on, on Europa League, Champions League, where that's, that's our focus this week. Uh, those previews are all up. And, um, they, there's coverage on a bunch of the, the Russian games as well. And of course, the Bundesliga teams as well that are involved. So that will be all at Football Grad Live. And you can follow me at Manuel Weff. I've been tweeting a lot about football leagues, um, <laughs> lately. So that's been sort of my main focus. Um, sort of going back to the roots of my PhD dissertation. Andrew mentioned it earlier. But yeah, guys, that's it. We're done. Uh, we covered a lot. And we'll probably have a lot more coming out or leaking by next week. So I don't think there will be any shortage of topics. 
Well, until then, Dosvidaniya. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.